The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Sox Machine Live. I am Josh Nelson alongside Jim Margulis as it is Thursday night, September 2nd, 2021, as we are streaming this show live on our YouTube page at youtube.com slash SoxMachine and on SoxMachine.com. For those that are watching on Twitter via Periscope, hello. And for the few of you watching us on Twitch, what's up? And for those that are that didn't get a chance to watch the live stream, you're listening to this on the podcast feed, which you can subscribe to the Sox Machine podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And on this episode of Sox Machine Live, there's a few roster things we're going to discuss. There are some injuries, key injuries for the White Sox that will parse through. The White Sox also made some September call-ups, and Gavin Sheets had an instant impact for the White Sox in his return hitting two home runs against Pittsburgh. And we may see a new face in a White Sox uniform, the relatively unknown Romy Gonzalez before this season. Will he play this weekend against the Kansas City Royals? We'll chat about that. But we're going to start off this episode of Sox Machine Live, Jim, talking about Jose Abreu, who had another monster month of August. And Major League Baseball announced earlier today that Jose Abreu is the American League Player of the Month. And again, just another monster August. I wrote about it in SoxMachine.com. We talked about it often. Just when the calendar flips to August, Jose Abreu becomes a different hitter. He hit 330 with a 382 on base percentage, and he slugged 661 with 10 home runs and 25 RBIs. And Jim, I'm wondering, because we talked about in previous episodes, the Instant impact with Luis Robert and Aloy Jimenez and Yasmani Grandal coming off the injured list. We thought it could be slow. It's been a while since these guys have faced Major League Pitching, but instead they just raked right away. With them back in the lineup, is Jose Abreu the biggest benefactor out of all the White Sox players to have those guys back in? 
Maybe. Uh, I, I think when it comes to like the biggest benefactor, it might be somebody like Cesar Hernandez, who, if he struggles, can just be bumped down to eighth or ninth and not really have to worry about fulfilling the okay. top spot at the top of the order. But when it comes just the to, I would say, like maybe the benefit of, um, you know, stat padding, <laughs> RPIs, I think that's where Abreu benefits. Like he, he already does a... Uh, incredible job of getting RBIs despite, you know, a lineup over the years that has been short on OBP and short on the traditional leadoff types. You know, Adam Eaton was that traditional quintessential leadoff man. But since then, you know, going from like Tim Anderson and Larry Garcia, like guys who don't really uh, lead the OBP charts, but still manage to get on and Abreu manages to drive them in when they do get on enough to lead the league and get that black ink in RBIs. I think that's a, uh, that just makes that easier, uh, makes that final month. Like even if he you know, has a little bit of regression from his August um, dominance to more of a September, you know, a, a kind of a gentle regression into September, he still should have plenty of opportunities to get those numbers across. So, yeah, I think uh, he does benefit in one way. And, uh, you know, it's the, I guess the only thing that's kind of annoying about Abreu winning the uh, – uh, player of the month again and leading the league in RBIs again is we still not past the really just inane arguments over the value of RBIs. Like I thought that was settled in 2009. The you know, <laughs> RBIs don't matter. Sabermetricians say that's main value. Like, no, it's fine. It's fine for somebody like him. He doesn't need to care about his uh, weighted on base average and he doesn't need to care about his wins above replacement. Like his job when he's at the plate is to drive in who's on base. Like he's doing his job just fine. Like, that's not, you don't need to ask him about that. It's two different things. Yeah, and he's one, you know, I've been looking at RBIs, like, per plate appearance, like, overall, and with runners in scoring position. And Abreu is still one of the best hitters in all of Major League Baseball, whether it's just every single PA, which he ranks fourth in Major League Baseball, uh, as far as RBIs per plate appearance, and if you put runners in scoring position, he ranks tenth in Major League Baseball. Almost, you know, it's almost fifty percent of the time that Abreu's going to drive in a run when he's at bat with a runner in scoring position. Uh, Aloy Jimenez has a ridiculous like point six three seven. Uh, RBIs per plate appearance with runners in scoring position. So 63.7% of the time when Aloy Jimenez is batting right now this season and there's a runner in scoring position, a, a run's going to score almost 64% of the time. That's that's really impressive, obviously, for Jimenez. It's incredibly uh, small sample size. But yeah, I, the RBI conversation is uh, is coming back and... Yeah, that's all I have to say. I, I like RBIs. I know it's a dirty stat, though. And ultimately, you get into this conversation of who's a better hitter, mm -hmm. and then you get into the whole folks not liking, liking weighted runs created plus or OPS plus, and yeah, it gets it gets messy, and the conversation gets really dumb. But when he uh, slugs 661 and drives in 25 runs, like everybody can agree, great month. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's uh yeah, you don't need to uh pick a number and then just yeah, you can you can just uh survey the whole buffet of numbers. He's great in basically every category. Celebrate that. Doesn't need to be a referendum on RPIs. What what was interesting because this was in James Vegan's uh column on the Athletic and interviewing Abreu that the soundbite from Frank Medicino, the head, the hitting coach for the White Sox 
making the comment, Jim, that if you asked Jose Abreu, Jose's having a bad year. That's something I would disagree with Abreu. Abreu's not having a bad year, even for his standards. Mm-hmm. He's not having a, a bad year. I'm sure he would love to have a, you know, his batting average where it was last year. And, you know, it's hard. It's hard to repeat an MVP season, especially for a hitter like Jose Abreu. But something that I have noticed in the first half of the season uh, in 83 games, Abreu hit 253 with a 334 on base percentage and slugged 451. Okay, that's not vintage Jose Abreu, as he had 15 homers and 66 RBIs in 83 games. The second half of the season, since the All Star break, Abreu's hitting 281 with a 363 on base percentage and slugging 587 with 13 home runs in 44 games. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, that's getting closer. To the 2020 American League MVP version of Jose Abreu. And yeah, it it is amazing to me. It's just one of the quirks of baseball players that for XYZ reason, when they play in this month or in this half or in this stadium or against this opponent, they have tremendous success. And for Jose Abreu, it continues his (laughs) legacy in the month of August, just simply mm-hmm. dominating, and he dominated again. Yeah, it's a tough way to, um, I, I guess it requires a lot of faith, I'll put it that way. Just if you struggle or kind of scuffle or put it, posting pedestrian numbers for four months, just say, wait until August, I got this. And you might think that that's like a just kind of an excuse, but with him, I think he's got the benefit of the doubt that, nope, but just whatever reason, um, you know, maybe you need to consider like July 20th, like August negative 10th or something like that. <laughs> like maybe you need to warp the calendar for him just to, uh, expand the month and have, uh, August go two pages instead of one. But yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's awesome. All right. Let's talk about something that's not awesome. And the injuries for the Chicago White Sox, uh, Lance Lynn is already on the injured list for something with, the, with his knee that's nagging him. The White Sox believe that Lynn's just going to miss one start. So nothing too concerning when it comes to Lance Lynn. However, it just so happens to be on Tuesday starts against Pittsburgh that Lucas Giolito slipped while fielding a swing bunt and it looked like it was bugging him as far as his, his legs. And it turns out that Gilito after the game says that it's his left hamstring that's giving him issues and the Chicago White Sox are going to check him out and he's going to try to throw a bullpen on Friday, September uh, 3rd in Kansas city to see how he feels. And then there's Tim Anderson in which the White Sox, for more than a week now, have said that there's no need to put Anderson on the injured list. We know how to handle this. We'll give him plenty of days off to battle as far as the soreness that he's dealing with. And then the very next day, Mm -hmm. the White Sox put Anderson on the injured list. And now you have this quote from Tony La Russa saying, quote, I'd be careful guaranteeing that Anderson will be back in 10 days. I know that's the expectation because he's approved since day one and he's getting better. But if there's a little soreness, you just wait. Let's get them healthy. Jim, let's start with Anderson first because this is something that's been nagging him for a while now. How concerned should White mm-hmm. Sox fans be regarding Anderson's hamstrings? I'm still not that concerned like i would say like on a scale of one to ten it might be like a four like when it comes to his talent it would be more than that you know but 
given that he was able to play and play well when he did play. And it makes me think like it can't be that serious, but it does cause faith in their injury prognoses to waver a little when, you know, uh, it's not just Anderson's also Adam Angle who's had some fits and starts when it comes to when he'll be able to come back, whether he'll be able to stay off the injured list, when his rehab stint's going to start. We've seen you know him go back and forth a little bit. So when it comes to like leg injuries, you can't place a whole lot of faith in what they're doing or what they know or, or like you know whether their first attempt at solving it will stick. So that's why it's like more than say a two or three. So that's that's I think where I'm at right now. Okay, I'm no one should be jumping off the bridge. The White Sox. This is the benefit of having a ten game lead in the American mm-hmm. League Central. You can have Anderson take as long as he needs. I will say that I don't think we're going to see Tim Anderson steal a lot of bases in this upcoming postseason. And I think with the postseason games, you know, White Sox fans, all fans for any sport, they want their team to give it like 150% effort because it's the postseason. And I just want to get out in front for Mm -hmm. White Sox fans not to be too upset that if Anderson hits a grounder to the shortstop and the shortstop fieldly, you know, cleans it, uh, fields it cleanly is what I'm trying to say. That Anderson is not going to run mm-hmm. as hard as he can down the first baseline in the third inning of Game One of the American League Divisional Series because there is the risk with his current health situation that if he does, he's going to pull the hamstring and then the White Sox don't have Tim Anderson for the rest of that series and he's at risk of missing the American League Championship Series. So mm-hmm. there's there's one part of the White Sox managing Tim Anderson. Then there's when Tim Anderson returns, managing and how hard he, you know, he plays and how much stress he puts on his legs if it is impacting him. So we may not see Tim Anderson stealing a bunch of bases mm-hmm. in the postseason. He could still be a very effective player for the White Sox, collecting the hits, coming up with the big hits and the big moments that we have seen this year. But I just want to get out in front of that before White Sox fans in a month start screaming, why isn't Tim Anderson running as hard as he possibly can down the first baseline? Well, if he does, he's going to pull a hamstring, and then Lurie Garcia is your starting shortstop for the rest of the postseason. Well, I guess the good news is we've seen Yasmani Grandal running or half running, um, you know, running at 70% with his sprint speed already limited, and I think that helps... <laughs> Clear a path a little bit. <laughs> like Anderson Anderson jogging is yes. probably faster than Grandall running right now, or at least, you know, for, for most of Grandall's efforts. And that's fine. Like we, you know, when it comes to Grandall, we've seen, you know, how much power he's hitting with, how much better, how much more stable, I should say, the behind the plate presence is to where like, you know, when he jogs down the line or he looks like he's not giving it all, right. like nobody cares. <laughs> I think uh, uh, apply that precedent to Anderson, you know, assuming Anderson makes the plays he needs to get to and runs when he needs to, that's fine. But, you know, the, the tricky thing is like, you know, with Luis Robert, I think he's also running a little bit less than maybe his top sprint speed. Um, but when it came to Robert, like he tore his... Uh, hip when he was trying to uh, leg out an infield single I actually did leg out an infield single so it's always always touchy like knowing what's worth and what's not because ultimately or I guess like when it comes to that play like 
it was worth the hustle getting the single, but you know, in the big picture, it wasn't. And so I think it's a tricky balance to strike whenever you, whenever the instinct comes in and the, and the timing of the game clicks in your head to realize like, Oh, I can beat this out. You know, whether that effort will take over or whether like they just know in their, you know, musculature, like something's not quite right here. My leg, it doesn't flex the way it normally does because of the surgery or the rehab or what I'm trying to do. So it's, it's going to be fun slash interesting slash curious to watch like when they can turn it on when they won't and whether like they can reach top speed this year well just hit home runs all the time and then jog around yeah. the bases <laughs> yeah if it only Nobody has that a problem easy. with that get those rbis yeah there you go if it were only that easy okay let's move over to lucas giolito uh, because there's some folks that sit, you know, I, I hopped on another podcast and I got posed this question. Well, if Julia goes on the injured list, is that the same thing as the White Sox putting Lance Lynn on the injured list that they're just, you know, being too cautious here? I disagree with that angle because we see Lucas Giolito leaving the game and he's obviously hurt there is something Mm -hmm. bugging him as he leaves the game against Pittsburgh and he openly admits that there is something wrong with his left hamstring not as bad or at that moment it didn't feel as bad when he pulled his hamstring back in 2019 in a start uh, that took him out uh, but it mm-hmm. is something that's bugging him. And Larusa told the media that uh, Giolito is going to try to throw a bullpen session on Friday. If that bullpen session doesn't go well, Giolito's not pitching in the weekend series against Boston. And that's not this weekend. That's next weekend. Uh, you mm-hmm. might as well just put Giolito then on the injured list so you can call somebody else up if you know that he's definitely not going to pitch uh, seven or eight days from now. Uh, if he's not going to feel good on Friday. That's just how I feel. So when it comes to Giolito, how concerned are you regarding Giolito's injury? I am say I would say like I'm a six. Um, okay, so more concerned for Giolito Yeah, more concerned. Just because, as you mentioned, we saw it. Like with the other injuries, Lance Lynn, we've seen him looking uncomfortable, but you know he always just kind of looks vaguely irritated when he's on the mound. Rodon, we didn't see him, you know, with the shoulder fatigue, we didn't really see that come into play. We're seeing it now a little bit, I think, and, and you know, to not get too ahead of our, our topics here, but just uh, we, we've seen that uh, now manifest itself. But when he went on the injured list, we hadn't yet seen exactly what he's dealing with. But yeah, we saw Giolito hobbling around the mound. We saw it getting worse as he was trying to throw. And when he mentioned that it wasn't as bad as 2019, I just didn't know at that moment whether to take that as denial. You know, part of the denial he was showing on the mound, being like, no, this isn't that bad. I can keep throwing when he's limping and when he's like shaking both legs out trying to uh, get it to feel right. Like, I don't know if that's like a, a Black Knight thing where he's just saying like, it's just a flesh wound, you know, where are you going? I can I can do this. Uh, th- that's why I don't quite trust his injury assessment in the moment, in the aftermath. I, I think we'll have to see how it plays out, but... Yeah, I'm just a little bit more concerned because we saw it and because, you know, that's when it comes to leg injuries, as we, as I just said, like the White Sox have had an iffy time getting past them fully. So, uh, you know, the combination of him being on the injured list with Lynn before him, you know, Lynn, I would say I'm like a two or a three just because he'd been pitching with it. And this seems like, you know, it happened before, you know, maybe if Giolito 
hadn't gone in the injured list here or hadn't gotten injured, you know, or maybe if you, you rotate the order and have Giolito getting hurt before Lynn has the option of going, maybe Lynn waits or maybe they, you know, push him back in the rotation, but ultimately keep him active. Uh, okay. they, they put him on the injured list before that. So I'm thinking like Lynn's a two, but yeah, Giolito is like a six right now, just because, you know, I kind of, even then, I don't know if I'm going to trust the injury. If he makes a start in Kansas city, I could still up being like, we just want three innings. We're just kind of trying to, piece together starts at this point. And, you know, it, I, I don't think we're going to know anything about Gilo's hamstring, even if he does start over the weekend, because as we've seen with Rodon, uh, I think they're trying to be really careful in how much they ask for pitchers right now. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if the strategy changes in September that no one in this starting rotation is going to be throwing more than five or six innings. Like six innings may be the max. Even if Dylan Cease has got like six, shutout innings going and he's mm-hmm. at 80 pitches. I wouldn't be surprised if the White Sox start pulling him and fans would be like, well, what's going on here? He could pitch at least an inning or two more to go. He's red hot. And I think Larusa is thinking, and I agree with him in this line of thinking, it's time to save some bullets for October. Again, mm-hmm. the benefits of having a 10 game lead in the American league central is to be able to rest guys and not having to push them so hard to win a division title. Where if you look across the league right now, you know, Tampa Bay's kind of in that same situation with the White Sox. They have a very uh, big lead. Houston can breathe a little uh, with Oakland trailing back uh, and the Milwaukee Brewers in the same boat. But that's not the case in the National League West, right, with the Dodgers and Giants. Both of those teams are going to have to go full throttle the rest of the way. Uh, same thing with the wild card teams, you know, Boston and Oakland, two teams the White Sox are going to see next week. Uh, battling, you know, each other for one of those playoff spots. And then in the National League, you got, you know, San Diego and Cincinnati. Those teams have to stress. If those... <laughs> and if the best in the NL East. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, whatever is going on in the National League East. There are teams that if they were suffering these injuries, like having to lose a shortstop like Anderson and a starting pitching pitcher like Giolito, that's almost panic mode. Mm-hmm. If we were one, if if we were fans of one of those teams, but for the White Sox at this moment, I don't think there's any reason to be higher than what you said, Jim. A six on a ten point scale, as far as these injury concerns, I I think we're just hopeful that we do see them before the regular season ends, and they show that they are as close to a hundred percent as they possibly can in a hundred and sixty two game marathon season. And mm-hmm. we were half expecting this because coming off a 60-game season last year, we weren't quite sure on how everybody was going to hold up. And we'll, we'll see on how Anderson and Giolito react going. Well, at least Anderson officially on the injured list. We'll see how Giolito's bullpen session goes on Friday. Maybe it'll be good news and he feels good and yeah. everything's okay. And then it's not a six and it's just a two and just making sure that Giolito doesn't have any more hamstring issues uh, in his next start. But again, the White Sox will be reporting that on Friday and we'll get more clarity. And if the White Sox sent out a press release that says that Giolito is going on the 10-day injured list, then you know how that bullpen session went on Friday in Kansas City. Uh, speaking of the injured list and those coming off the injured list, Carlos Rodon, he made his second start coming off the injured list Wednesday night against Pittsburgh. I was in mm-hmm. attendance. I thought he threw well. 
you know, five innings pitched, allowed, uh, you know, five hits, one earned run, one walk, five strikeouts on 77 pitches. I know it's it's Pittsburgh. That's not, you know, murderer's row that the Pirates have. But something that you wrote on SoxMachine.com, Jim, is we have to pay attention to the velocity. And it just seems that after his start against Toronto and his start against Pittsburgh, Rodon doesn't have that 9,900 mile per hour velocity right now uh, like he did pre-injury or at least going on the injured list with his shoulder fatigue mm-hmm. is this a concern or do you think he's just bottling up and he's going to use it when he can in the postseason I think it's a concern I mean there's a chance like I wouldn't completely rule it out that he's just he sees the pirates on the schedule. He sees the 10 game lead and he just says like, I'm not going to air it out. Like I need to, you know, I've, I've talked with Ethan Katz. I've talked with James Crook. Just, you know, I, I've the, the people who are in charge of me have said like, Hey, don't do this. Or, uh, you know, tried not to reach, you know, 99, hundred, but I don't think that's how it works. The velocity, generally speaking, like, I don't think aside from maybe like an extreme example, like Chris sale, when he, you know, ratcheted it down for that one year to try to increase his in-season stamina, his durability, and and not fade in September. Like he tried that, and that was an extreme example. But I think generally speaking, pitchers generally throw as hard as they can, or at least hard as their like mechanics allow them to, and and the speed is the speed. So seeing him reach back and hit 96 rather than 100 uh, makes me think like it's not quite there yet. And maybe that's a, maybe it's a yet. Maybe it's something that he's building back up to. But I'm prepared for the outcome that like he's just kind of the pitcher he was in 2018, 2019. Like the guy he was for the first half of the season where he made the all-star team and looked like a Cy Young favorite. That might be an aberration. Just like it, maybe his body can't quite handle it. And the form he is now is more of a guy who's you know, just his body's pulling him back to the, uh, back, back to where he needs to be in order to, to be sustainable. That's just my guess right now, based on, you know, how he's throwing, but it does change the way to manage him. Like I wrote about, um, you know, when he had the ability to start out throwing 92, finish throwing a hundred that basically made him his own reliever, his third time through, like in the fifth, sixth, seventh innings, he can be just like, okay, now we're bringing in the flamethrower. It just happens to be me. <laughs> And good luck with that. Uh, now he's if he's you know throwing ninety four and he gets to ninety five like that's not a difference maker, especially say if the command wobbles like that kind of reminds me of what we saw at the end of last year when he could hit ninety six. His velocity had been the best it was since the surgery, but it wasn't you know it didn't have life, it didn't have command. And looking at some of the singles that he gave up or the grounders that he gave up, uh, the opposite field single he gave up in the fifth inning against Pittsburgh. It didn't look like 96. Like it looked like 94, 93. Like the velocity, just based on the the pop, the swings, whatever. You know, it looked like the the Pirates could line it up in the way like a, a fastball with hop makes them always look late or just a little bit overwhelmed. Like they could see it coming or have a better idea of how to time it up the third time through. And when he doesn't have a changeup, he likes it makes it harder to have a different look or have a successful look for those hitters the third time through. So unless he starts throwing his changeup more or his curveball more or something like that, or has better luck with this, you know, two tilts on a slider to where he can throw that for strikes and pitch backwards. I think it makes it harder to get that extra wind 
uh, in the fifth and sixth innings. So I think LaRusso was right to pull him when he did at five innings and 77 pitches. And that just might be what's asked of him now. Uh, you know, even if like say they go into the postseason and he throws like five shutout innings, like if he's not hitting 99, I think, you know, it's going to be a pretty quick hook and, you know, with the postseason, that's just kind of how it's managed right now. So it's not the worst thing in the world. I think the worst thing in the world is having him, you know, absent. So whatever he needs to do to be able to pitch in the postseason is really of the utmost importance. But it does change the way that he's uh, managed, I think. Well, I think Carlos Sardan is on track to make his next start at Oakland against the Oakland Athletics. So that I do, I agree with you, Jim. It is worth watching the velocity of Carlos Sardan. And to see what his max velocity is for that particular day. Mm -hmm. I I imagine that he wants to, for a couple of pitches, see how hard he can throw just to physically test himself. Because against Toronto, he did hit 97 miles per hour. Not Mm -hmm. that often, but that was his max velocity. He did hit 97. I think, what was his max velocity against Pittsburgh? 95? 95.9, so 96 around it up to. 96, okay. Yep. Yeah, so a mile per hour off from his start against Toronto. Against Oakland, if he's topping out at 95, then maybe there's a little sweat that builds up on the forehead when it comes to Carlos Rodon's uh, shoulder health. Uh, that he may not be 100% for the postseason. And White Sox fans expecting to see all-star version of Carlos Rodon come October may not get that because he's trying to be as effective as he possibly can at 80% health uh, with his shoulder. And it is something that, you know, the White Sox have to be concerned with. Carlos Rodon has to be concerned about it, and he's got to be careful because he's Mm -hmm. a free agent after this year. He doesn't want to, you know, blow up his shoulder and all of a sudden, you know, it wrecks as far as what kind of contract he can sign after this season, after having a career year, a bounce back year in 2021. Rodon is the one that I think the White Sox should really limit to just five innings for the rest of the month of September, Jim. Because, again, I'm going to keep saying this, a 10-game lead of the American League Central, uh, you could afford Rodon only to throw five innings. I, I just feel like there's no pressure to push him to throw more than 100 pitches. I do have to say, though, the last time Rodon threw 100 pitches in a game was July 6th. It's mm-hmm. been a minute, as the cool kids would say, uh, when Rodon had that heavy of a workload. Uh, so we'll see on how he does against Oakland, but he's still getting good results. It's not like he's Dallas Keuchel and he's giving up like six runs in an inning. And mm-hmm. no, he's still keeping the White Sox in the games and he's putting them in a position to win. And I think that also shows the evolution of Carlos Rodon this season as a starting pitcher that even though he's still not a hundred percent, he's putting the White Sox in a position to win these games. Yeah, I think it's uh, he's waiting. He's attacking and he's waiting for opposing offenses to make him go out of the zone, make him nibble, uh, make him nervous, and they haven't yet. So good for him. We we did get this comment from our friend B Floaf. Dallas Keuchel could throw as many innings as he gets, though, and you are correct, B Floaf. Uh, Dallas Keuchel could throw as many innings as he wants, as uh, we're not too confident. Uh, that Dallas Keuchel is going to be pitching in October for the White Sox uh, during the postseason. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate 
isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so the next topic that I want to discuss uh, is the September call-ups for the Chicago White Sox. So the White Sox called up Matt Foster, and a bit of a surprise, they called up Roby Gonzalez and Gavin Sheets return. And Gavin Sheets had the instant impact, hitting two home runs Wednesday night to power the White Sox to victory. Let's start with Gavin Sheets because the White Sox DFA Jake Lamb, a bit of a surprise because the White Sox have gone through the roster gymnastics to keep Jake Lamb on the team for a, a long period of time this season. And I, I think they could have DFA'd Lamb earlier, but they waited until September mm-hmm. 1st to do it, and they replaced Lamb with Sheets. How often do you think we'll see Sheets in the lineup for the White Sox this month? I think it could be, you know, uh, regular work against righties uh, between right field and DH and maybe to spare... Andrew Vaughn a little bit because he's been struggling as of late. Like I think there are ways to rotate him in and out. And I think it's worth doing just because he already got the, you know, the, the, the first cup of coffee out of his way. Um, you, we saw pitchers throwing him more breaking stuff, more slow stuff, low in the zone and like making him try to lift it, pitching away from his power, making him have to beat shifts. So it's not like they need to, hide him or like, you know, kind of keep him a secret weapon to come off the bench and like, Oh, he's a high, he can't hit five fastballs. And he turns them around. Like there's already a book on him to a certain extent. So I think it's worth learning just how much he's adjusted to that book. And I think that that at bat he had for his second Homer where it ended on a, on a miserably bad pitch, like the O2 fastball right down the middle, but he got that O2 fastball because he fought off a lot of pitches that were, you know, junk, you know, low in the zone, you know, curve balls, change up breaking balls. Like, he managed to fight off. He wasn't able to turn it around or, or square it up. At least he lived another day until he frustrated the pitcher enough to you know make him come to the zone and attack with the fastball and he capitalized. So that at least indicated a little bit of growth or a little bit of you know learning how to uh, you know self defense and, and sustain at bats. So you know it's worth learning about that. It's worth just knowing exactly how much you can count on him just because uh, he could, you know, theoretically get important at bats or high leverage at bats. 
you know, if they need that home run off the bench. And I think it's worth knowing just exactly how much you're crossing your fingers if he does get a start in important games. Romy Gonzalez, what should White Sox fans know about Gonzalez? Because I think you got a chance to watch him in Birmingham. Yeah, I watched him the first weekend, and it was funny just because uh, when he started in Birmingham, it was partially, you looked at what was in Winston-Salem, Kannapolis, and realized, like, oh, he's 24 years old. He's already had a full season in Kannapolis. We have guys like, you know, Lennon Sosa and Yolbert Sanchez who need reps in Winston-Salem, and they're younger so we're just going to have to shove him up in Birmingham. And, you know, if he falters, then we'll adjust later. But he just might be a um, collateral damage on <laughs> the season. It just might be like some guys are going to get pushed beyond their breaking points. We saw that like, you know, with uh, like Luis Mieses and Harvin Mendoza and high A, Benjamin Bailey and A-Ball. Like some guys got pushed because they just weren't, there wasn't playing time at the lower levels and it didn't work and they had to like, be knocked down, and then you know, ultimately Miesses and Mendoza got promoted up afterwards, so it worked out. But Gonzalez seemed like that uh, guy. But there, the, I guess the one clue that the White Sox might have had high hopes for him was that he was starting at shortstop, like Kurt Bloom, uh, the venerable broadcaster in, in Birmingham. Uh, a lot of fun to talk to you about uh, the Barons. Like, we were, we were talking, and he said, like, it's interesting. Gonzalez, you know, he homered, he had a couple of really good games uh, in the three games I saw. And he noted, like, you know, Laz Rivera started here last year. Laz Rivera's on the roster. He's a better, you know, he's a fine defensive shortstop. They're, I think they're learning about Gonzalez being at shortstop. But, like, there's no fault, harm, starting Rivera in at shortstop in Birmingham. Like, he'll probably be better than what he showed in 2019. He can, he can, he's got a good glove. Like, that's the safe choice. So to have Gonzalez starting in shortstop and having Rivera be like the jack of all trades guy who's not starting every day that said something about what they wanted to see from him and then he got off to a hot start and never you know he had some you know hot and cold streaks to where like oh regression setting in now you're gonna see the Romy Gonzalez and like after maybe a bad week or two or bad sometimes I think it might have been series like just because of the six game series and if you have like a loaded pitching staff you're facing or have like you know all righties or all like hard throwing slider guys like I think that can exacerbate slumps for six games in the way that other series can't. Like I know that the Charlotte Knights have seen a lot of uh, Durham, a lot of Tampa Bay's pitching prospects. <laughs> so to see, you know, Brent Honeywell and Shane Baz for like six games, you know, every other week, seemingly, like, I think that can, that can cause some headaches. So I think with Gonzalez, he saw some bad weeks. We also saw like, Oh, maybe he was just seeing the Montgomery biscuits, which is, uh, Tampa Bay's double A team. <laughs> so I think a lot of these uh, prospects who have gone from Birmingham, Charlotte, have just seen a lot of great Tampa Bay pitching prospects. But that, so you'd see like that bad week and be like, okay, this is when the real Romy Gonzalez comes up. And then the next week, four homers, three stolen bases. He gets to 2020 in like 70 something games in Birmingham. Just like, wow. Yeah. Like, and so I think there were some legit strides he made that rewarded the White Sox uh, faith slash hope in him. And uh, when he strikes out, he seems to strike out in bunches. And I think that also points to like maybe facing some lopsided schedules with really good pitching staffs versus, uh, you know, ones that are more ordinary in the minors. But I think he struck out three or four times in 11 games and then 29 games with zero strikeouts. So he's not somebody who strikes out every four at bats or like every time he faces a righty uh, fastball slider guy, like he's more competitive than that. So uh, I think there are ways to play him like with Anderson out. I think it makes sense to give him a few starts at shortstop, see what that looks like, especially with Moncada being a good glove 
at third base and Hernandez being a veteran glove at second, like they, I think they can help, uh, you know, move him around and, uh, you know, not put all the uh, weight on him being the captain of the infield. Like they have other guys who can tell him where to go, where to be. So I, I think there are ways to work him in. And the one thing I, I think that caught me by surprise is that they could have added him to the 40 man roster in August. And that way he would have been able to be eligible for the postseason roster, no matter what. Uh, now with the way the rules are like there needs to be some kind of injury. Like they, they can't just, you know, promote him from the you know, 26 man roster to the postseason roster because he was on in September. Like they need, there needs to be like a long standing or like an injury that's worked its course for 10 days. And that guy can't come back in order for Gonzalez to come in unless, um, you know, maybe there's a, a, yeah, that commissioner, yeah, the petition, the commissioner, uh, covers more than that, but that, that's at least what the rules on MLB.com site stated saying like that there needs to be an injury that has run its course for 10 days. And, uh, you know, then they can petition the commissioner and say like Gonzalez is that guy. So fortunately Gonzalez, I think has out enough outfield experience to where like if Engel or whoever can't answer the call in the outfield, like maybe uh, Gonzalez is a, uh, suitable replacement for that position as well. All right, so that's a great scouting report on Gonzalez. Any chance that White Sox fans can see Gonzalez this weekend against the Kansas City Royals, Jim? I should hope so. Like between the Royals struggling the way they are with them having left-handed pitchers and Gonzalez being uh, somebody who can hit them, like it, it makes sense to start him. And I think um, you know, it's the kind of situation where if he has a good game, play him again. They got room in the infield. I think the, the fortunate thing is, is that Larry Garcia is having one of his hot streaks again, where he looks, uh, I don't know if it's like Tim Anderson being out where a shortstop just kind of brings a little bit more out of him and say like, okay, I need to be the guy, uh, you know, here are some clutch hits. Here are some, uh, uh, two out magic. Here's a, you know, here's some, uh, here's a slick double play. But I think, I, I don't know if just, uh, when he's truly needed, uh, he seems to rise to the occasion enough where like, okay, here's why he's been on the White Sox for, for uh, 27 years. Like <laughs> just, uh, <laughs> I, I think this is why managers love him is because when he's truly needed, he looks capable when he, you know, I, yeah. I think it's a case when he maybe you don't need him to play every day at second, but when he starts getting that everyday experience at second base or they don't need him every day in center, but they want him in center. That's, I think when his play uh, tails off, but for the times when he truly is necessary. He always seems to reward uh, the decision to play him enough. Well, we'll see if Romy Gonzalez plays against the Kansas City Royals, but that is the next opponent for the Chicago White Sox as they head to Kauffman Stadium to face the Kansas City Royals for the last time in the 2021 season. The Royals are currently 59 and 73. They are in fourth place in the American League Central. And what is interesting is that the White Sox are 4-3 and three this year at Kauffman Stadium. But they lost three out of four games the last time they visited Kauffman. So the beginning part of the season, they swept the Royals pretty easily in early May. Then they only won one out of four in Kansas City. And when Kansas City won the next series at, at Guarantee Ray Field against the White Sox, that evened up the season series between the White Sox and the Royals in 2021. So they have split the first 16 games. Each team has won eight games apiece. 
And for the White Sox this weekend, their pitching probables, it's going to start with Dallas Keuchel on Friday, September 3rd. This is a 7.10 p.m. Central Time start. And then on Saturday, September 4th at 6.10 p.m. Central Time, it's Ronaldo Lopez for the White Sox. And then Dylan Cease will close it out uh, for Sunday, September 5th at 1.10 p.m. Central Time against Kansas City. And Jim... The Royals, as I mentioned, gave the White Sox a headache uh, not that long ago, winning five out of seven uh, against the White mm-hmm. Sox. Uh, there is no trophy to be to be given out between the Royals and White Sox for winning the season series, uh, but I expect Kansas. <laughs> yeah, that's true. What would that look like? <laughs> well, you went to. Well, was there a trophy between Missouri and Illinois for college? Oh, uh, the border battle or something like that. What was that called? Oh, uh, it was bragging rights. That was bragging it. rights. Uh, yep. But I don't recall. Don't so recall a trophy. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe they maybe can just, it's just Josh that. Fields. <laughs> maybe Josh Fields lives with them for a year. They could get a Josh Fields starting lineup figure if there ever was one and just glue it on top of a bowling trophy. <laughs> and that could be. Whoever wins the season series uh, between the White Sox and Royals. That would be a fun pose, just coming up with a bunch of trophy ideas in the American League Central on on who wins season series between the two teams. Uh, But I expect Kansas City to give the White Sox a headache this weekend. So while on paper one would think, okay, after the White Sox won two out of three against the Cubs, they swept a two-game series against the Pirates, it's another mm-hmm. cakewalk in Kansas City before they have another off day on Monday and they head to Oakland for a, a tough six-game stretch, three against the Athletics and then three at home against the Boston Red Sox. Uh, but I don't get that feeling, Jim. I think this is going to be a tougher series for the White Sox than expected. Maybe. Like, just seeing the way Luis Robert is swinging the bat makes me feel a little bit better about uh, just the depth of their lineup and uh, I think I'm going to be writing about this tomorrow, a sneak peek to uh, Sox Machine, but just some of the swings he had in, uh, on uh, Wednesday's game against Pittsburgh, like the way he kept that double fair inside the line uh, on that pitch running, like how did he do that? Like how did, you know, how did the guy who swung, you know, over every breaking ball down last year just manage to, you know, flip a, a breaking ball to center the first time up and then like keep the hands in and hook that ball fair. So I, I'm encouraged by the way he's playing uh, to where just like he's an added dimension that the White Sox have. And then they have some rookies too, like, you know, Gavin Sheets, Romy Gonzalez, who might get that uh, you know, rookie magic that the White Sox have used to sustain them themselves basically throughout the year. Like I'm hoping Gonzalez picks up where, you know, the kind of that, that lineage of your mean Mercedes to Jake Lamb to Jake Berger to Gavin Sheets, just all these Brian Goodwin in there, just these random performances uh, from guys who come in and just catch fire. Uh, so I like, you know, I like their offense one through nine, and I think they, they pose a threat there. Mike Miner is also starting tonight against Cleveland, so the White Sox won't face him for whatever reason. Miner's been giving the White Sox fits. Um, also, like, just I was watching the Cleveland-Kansas City game on Wednesday, and Kansas City had bases loaded, nobody out in the 10th inning, just need to score one run. Sal pressed the plate. They didn't score. <laughs> he lost 11. So what? having seen Sal Perez swing through like two, like he fouled back a, no, swung through a 90 mile per hour fastball, fouled back a hang, hanging splitter, and then swung over another hanging splitter. Like he had a terrible patch. It's like, okay, that guy is uh, fallible. He's mortal. Uh, I, I think that at bat made me think like, okay, Perez is, 
he's fading. So maybe I eat my words a little bit, but just <laughs> having seen that inning, just like, yeah, I know the Royals have a pretty good record against like decent teams this year against first place teams. They've hung in there. So they're tough, but their pitching's uneven, uh, especially if you get them early. They don't have depth in the bullpen. So there are a lot of guys who are not great at eating innings in the fourth, fifth, sixth. So I think I like the White Sox chances to win the series and, uh, and, and flip the season series in their favor. So with this being the last series against the Royals, folks in Kansas City, maybe specifically general manager Dane Moore, thinks that the Royals are closer to contending than what most of the experts think. At least after the 16 games and then after these three in Kansas City, the White we, we would have seen Kansas City for at least 19 games against the White Sox outside of the other games that we have watched the Royals. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about the Royals' chances to be one of the teams that challenges the White Sox in the American League Central in 2022 or 2023? I think 23 is possible just because they have a lot of veterans to replace in the lineup. Like it's going to, there's some turnover there. Bobby Witt Jr. looks like the real deal. So I'm, I'm quietly terrified of him uh, just turning into a just monster, like along the lines of a Tatis Jr. Maybe, you know, not that instantaneous of success, but just like the skill set is kind of reminiscent and his ability just to make uh, levels look easy for his age. Just you can't quite count that out. Um, he can do a lot, I think, to define where the Royals go. They also have a, young, a lot of young pitchers that, you know, haven't figured out yet, but might to where they can be tough. I think you're going to see kind of similar to this year going into next year where it's just like they don't have a full lineup yet they have some guys who are aging out uh and then you have some pitchers who are hot and cold slash healthy and unhealthy to where you might catch the rotation when it's complete and fully operational and then you might catch them when they're scrambling for arms because uh you know the the five guys that they were counting on the only five guys they're counting on uh aren't there so i think they're still in a transition i think it's gonna be a longer transition for them uh because their gambles for this year didn't pay off but i think like you know, Nicky Lopez's growth helps them a little bit, you know, if, uh, you know, buys them a little time for next year. Uh, they've had enough performances to make me think like they're kind of in the position they were this past year where like you can kind of see an 80 win team if things break right. But I think it just given how old their offense is, I don't think Bobby Witt Jr. can do it all himself to transition uh, the Royals to a new offense. Yeah, we've gotten good comments here uh, during our stream. Uh, Tim Mayer has a good couple comments. He he wrote to us, I, for one, would be just fine with another 20-year stretch of the Royals being the cellar dwellers in, in the American League Central. Uh, and Tim also suggested a good uh, trophy between the White Sox and Royals, the Bragging Wagon. <laughs> I like that one. And then he, he's like, you could also put a cow on it because they would ship cows or ship cattle to Chicago for them to be slaughtered. So there you go. A cow in a wagon. Uh, call it the bragging wagon between the White Sox and the Royals. And uh, we'll see how we'll see how this series goes for Kansas City. Man, you know, Salvador Perez and Whit Merrifield aren't getting younger. Mm-hmm. I feel like if you're going to be, if there's going to be a surprise team that's more active in the offseason, even though those outside of Kansas City may look at the activity and ask a lot of questions on what exactly are the Royals trying to achieve? 
I expect Kansas City to be pretty active in this offseason to try to be one of the teams that challenges the White Sox in the American League Central uh, to contend in 2022. It, it may be you know, a year or two soon before mm-hmm. the Royals are realistically in a position to contend, but I, I feel like the Royals are going to push they're going to push the envelope this offseason just because, again, as you mentioned, Jim, the lineup is not getting younger and the time is now offensively. I, I could see the Royals being quite active on the pitching front. I think they're going to be competing with the Tigers a little bit just because the Tigers have pitching and release young pitchers who are ahead of the Royals when it comes to just exactly how projectable they are, but still you know, a lot of bats to piece together and such. So maybe they'll be shopping in different departments to where they both can be active, but I I could also see them going head to head as they try to augment, um, you know, whatever is ailing them in both regards without like breaking the bank. Cause you know, we know that I'm curious what the Tigers can spend. I know we're, we have a vague idea or a general idea of how constrained the Royals are, but the Tigers, given that we've seen them throw, you know, good money after bad. And we've seen, uh, yeah, they still have Illich at the end of their names. <laughs> like, I wonder, you know, should, yeah, but this it, isn't that. Yeah, it Illich. isn't, but just, you know, should they get the, uh, you know, should they feel like, okay, we have young pitchers. We, you know how young pitchers are. You can't count on them being healthy two years from now. We need to capitalize. I think they could perhaps act if they wanted to. Detroit. Yes. All right. I think Kansas City's pitchers haven't quite aligned yet where they really know exactly what the rotation is going to look like the way that the Tigers rotation is shaping up. Yeah. Well, I like the Tigers and Royals chances better than the Twins in 2022 in which the Twins got some bad news that Kenta Maeda needs Tommy John surgery and he's going to be out for the next 9 to 12 months. So realistically, he may not be able to rejoin the Minnesota Twins rotation until mid-June, maybe early July. And yeah, I, it makes sense that they traded away Jose Breos. And I think the twins should really strongly consider trading away Byron Buxton, uh, to do some type of mini rebuild or reload. If you don't feel confident about challenging the white Sox in 2022, I also speak as a white Sox fan to get Byron Buxton out of the American league central. Cause that would make life a lot easier uh, for the White Sox, so please heed my advice, Minnesota Twins. <laughs> or he can just continue to opt out of all games against the White Sox the way he did this yeah. year. He didn't opt out, but just like he was unavailable. unavailable for one reason or another. Yeah, so if he just wants to take vacations on those weekends, that's also fine. Yeah, it definitely helps for 2022. But we'll see on how this series goes between the Royals and the White Sox, and we will recap that series on Monday, and you know, hopefully we get a chance to see Romy Gonzalez play. We get to break that down as far as on, on how he performs. And on that Monday episode of the Sox Machine podcast, we'll also look ahead uh, to the road series in Oakland where the White Sox 2020 season ended in the American League wildcard round of the 2020 playoffs. But that will do it for this episode of Sox Machine Live. Thank you to everyone that watched the live stream on our YouTube page at youtube.com slash Machine and also on SoxMachine.com and via Periscope on Twitter. If you just discovered uh, the Sox Machine podcast and Sox Machine Live, 
please subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash socks machine. The last time I checked, we were close to uh, 500 subscribers, which is awesome. Thank you guys so much uh, for those that are listening to the podcast feed. And if you do watch videos on YouTube, please take a moment uh, to subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash socks machine. When it comes to the postseason, we just passed 500. We just did. Hey, all right. Excellent. Thank you for the live update. Oh, subscribe. Yeah, still subscribe. <laughs> Next goal is a thousand. Uh, for our postseason plans, we'll provide more details, but we're going to be doing post game shows uh, in the upcoming postseason and utilize YouTube as well uh, for our postseason content. So, more reasons to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Twitter. We are at Socks Machine. You can follow me on Twitter at Socks Machine underscore Josh. And for those that don't get an opportunity to watch the live stream, you can subscribe to the Socks Machine podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you enjoy our work and you want more and want to help support us, go to patreon.com slash Socks Machine where we have several different tiers of support. Uh, starting at $2, $3, $5, and $10 a month, where you get ad-free versions of the podcast, bonus content, exclusive content, and the first opportunity to purchase Socks Machine swag. And Jim's going to have an announcement on that. And as far as new Socks Machine swag, very soon. So as they say, stay tuned. Yes, if you are a... Uh, Patreon supporter, check your emails uh, tonight. Uh, and and if you are not yet a Patreon supporter, now you can hop on board to get said emails uh, because there will be pretty significant uh, announcements uh, on on multiple fronts for supporters. So yes, yeah, stay tuned. Uh, it'll be a matter of hours. All right, excellent. So there you go. More teasing on what this is about. I promise you, I've seen it. It is awesome. You will like it. You will want it. And if you want that swag, swag item, the best way to get it is on patreon.com slash Socks Machine. Socks Machine Live is a production of SocksMachine.com. You're home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire podcast network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I am Josh Nelson. Thanks for watching and listening.